All right, you guys, man, welcome to the Daily Thinker podcast. We talk about all different types of things, you know, faith, sports, theology, apologetics, all different type of issues. But we all know what's been happening in the media with Nick Cannon and all this Hebrew Israelite stuff and all these teachings and whatnot. Can somebody be Jew? Can somebody be this or be that? And that's why I had to get a great, a great guest on today, man, that goes by the name of Zadok, the God Hop MC. So I'm going to let Zadok introduce himself, man. Thank you for joining the show with us today, Zadok. Okay, was muted for a second. But hey, what's up, man? Peace and blessings to you, bro. I know that we don't know one another personally, but I definitely appreciate that whatever it is that you felt from watching the interviews that I did on this other platform that uh, you was like, hey, this is important enough for me to reach out and see if I can have a conversation with this brother. And man, praise the Lord, because uh, you're one of many people who have been hitting me up in the last two weeks. I've actually recorded for some other platforms, you know, in social media on this same topic. And I guess it's not by chance, man. We don't serve. Look, we don't serve fortune or luck. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We believe in Jesus, the Christ, the son of God, God manifested in the flesh. So this isn't just happening because the Lord wants something done. He wants a message out there. And little old me is one of the few people that uh, he's given the opportunity to uh, to represent prayerfully, correctly and prayerfully uh, to his glory and to the edifying of the body. If, if the spirit of God is with me, then it's only uh, its only purpose is, at the end of the day is really to edify the body of Christ. And so it's a pleasure. Uh, it's an honor, young brother. And um, yeah, man, I'm saying Dr. God, I can see hashtag just the best and nobody special, a.k.a. Young Chimney repping that H.O.G. M.O.B. Shout out to the Nazarene Messianic Party, uh, my church family here in upstate New York, where I was born and raised. Um, a sinner saved by grace. What more can I say? I don't have to give all the testimony because whatever I did, no matter how bad or light it may seem to men, you know what it still wasn't God's sight? Sin. That's just it. And so, um, you know, I'm just here um, to hopefully shed some light on some things that I have ex- my life experience in for over 20 years now. Wow. So over 20 years of experience in this. So when did this journey really start? Because 20 years, like when did this really start for you? When did you really start to this pick this journey up? started for me as I was getting out of high school? You know, apparently I'm not a young guy. Not I'm not old, but I'm not, you know, I ain't in my twenties no more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um it started for me coming out of high school, bro, in the late nineties. Um I'm here in the Northeast. For those of you who may if you're familiar with Northeast part of the United States, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Once you hit Virginia going all the way up to Massachusetts and Maine and Vermont and stuff like that. It's a different ball game from some of the culture in the rest of the country in this regard. This is where for the African-American experience in America, the majority of the civil rights struggle, the organizations that really stood up and gave a voice for African-Americans throughout the United States, uh, the Niagara movement, which started right in Niagara Falls, New York, later blossomed into what people know as the NAACP, civil rights, Martin Luther King, great preacher coming out of, I believe he comes out of Georgia, uh, basically traveled the United States. And a lot of the base of what they did was coming out of the Northeast and teaming up with them to come down South. Um, when the Black Panthers did what they did over in California, it transplanted itself to the Midwest and Chicago and places like that. And then coming into New York and Philadelphia and all of this, um, a lot of things. Um, when people think of the nation of Islam, uh, when it really started to become more popularized under their great orator at the time, Malcolm X, New York City, Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., Baltimore, um, this is the breeding ground for what people would call urban theology. And that, and that covers a wide range of things from the Pan-African movement when Marcus Garvey and them was doing everything they were doing up in Harlem, New York, way back in the early 1900s, 
um, the comedic movement for those who, you know, got the people on this back to Egypt kick. Um, the Nation of Islam, of course, the 5% Nation of Gods and Earths, um, all various forms of, uh, of Christianity that is popular among blacks from full gospel to Southern Baptist to the heavily charismatic Pentecostal movement. Um, all of that stuff, big up here. And in the midst of all of that, something that's been going on for decades that a lot of you didn't get hit to until probably the last decade or so with the advent of YouTube really spreading a lot of people's uh, voices across the country, let alone the world, uh, the Hebrew Israelite community. And I, as my introduction into belief and that the Bible was God's word, started in the Hebrew Israelite movement uh, back in the late 90s. Mm. Before I get to that Hebrew Israelite movement, I want to talk about how was it living in a place where all these different religions are at. Because where I'm at, it's not that many different religions. You got like Jehovah Witnesses, you got all different denominations from Christianity, but you don't have people who are outside of Christianity. You don't have all these other like five percenters and all these comedic people. Like you don't have that many people like that down here, down south where I stay at. You don't see that at all, to be honest. You don't see it that much. So how was it like growing up around people like that? And you you won't like you won't because basically you are you're a Hebrew Christian, right? So I know you probably got some flack because like, oh, it's the white man's religion, it's the white man's religion and all that. So how was it how was it to just deal with stuff like that, dealing with all those different religions? What's interesting about it, it's almost like and forgive me if I'm going to lose some of you with this analogy, but this is the one that just came to my mind. There's a, a movie series out there in the martial arts world. Um, I am a martial arts fanatic. I always told my wife, if I wasn't born black, I knew I would have been born Chinese. It's just facts. <laughs> facts. Right? <laughs> but um, there's a movie series called Ip Man, right? And in the last Ip Man movie, coming into Shanghai, all the masters that represent these different Kung Fu styles wanted to test Master It in his Wing Chun style. And their styles come out of various traditions. And he had to one by one fight every master of every school. It was like 12 or 13 masters from these different um, 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 schools of martial arts practice. So in using that analogy, it was similar to that to me, but in a mental acuity aspect where if you just, if all you got to say to people is Jesus Christ is the son of God, he died for your sins and rose the third day, and you ought to believe on him and get baptized in his name and you'll go to heaven when you die, whatever that basic thing that Christians might just be able to spew, Unfortunately, that ain't good enough. And what do I mean? People are going to challenge the historicity of the Bible. You got guys, you'll be talking about Jesus, and some guy will bring up to you the fact that there are discrepancies in certain things, and you have Bible scholars who even argue back and forth about the validity of this thing right here wasn't in some original Q manuscript found in the, I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. If someone <laughs> brings that to you, you like, what? Then you got these comedics. They say, yeah, the whole Moses story, uh, a lot of uh, uh, Solomon's Proverbs, even the Ten Commandments are stolen out of ancient Kemet. That's what they call Egypt. And they are really um, a plagiarism of the 42 negative confessions or what they call the laws of my option. Yeah, you're like, bro, what is you talking about? When someone brings that to you, now it don't mean to have to sway your faith as an individual, but when you on a corner and you got a circle around you and you got some brothers who trying to hear you talk about Jesus and some people walk up with other ideologies and they're just not challenging the validity of Jesus. They're even challenging if the Bible itself is credible. Bro, either you just going to stay out of that and try to talk to people in person and not attract the crowd. Because if you attract a crowd in the hood and somebody walk up who, who believe they know something, they're going to challenge you. 
it opened up the necessity to not just be someone who goes to church and hears God's word, Mm -hmm. but you have to study the Bible from Genesis chapter one to revelation 22. Right. And on top of that need to be in a circle of believers who have that same energy and you need to be up on history. Now you have to get into apologetics. You have to get into anthropology, archaeology, and then being a Hebrew Israelite, I was even forced to even act like I had interest in DNA uh, studies and stuff. Bro, it's crazy. But what it does do, when I go around the United States and I sit and talk with some of my just average Christian brothers and sisters who all they do, they go to church, they try to uh, live decent lives in the spirit of Christ, and they just have a basic message. Yeah. Now, when the time is that all of a sudden you in Mississippi, right, bro? Is yeah, Mississippi. Right? You in Mississippi. Mississippi. So one day you just walking up the block, you with some of your bros, y'all from the campus, y'all out, y'all downtown, and all of a sudden y'all get accosted, and don't let some of your friends be white, brother. <laughs> you see some dudes standing on the corner with some outfits on, they got some charts, they got something that looked like a Marvel comic, black guy, because they're supposed to be black Jesus. Yep. And they saying you white folk is the devil, and they out there, and if you want to stop and debate, you got a guy standing in the middle, he tell this dude, hey, get me Jeremiah chapter such and such, hey, you get me Matthew chapter 13, and when he done, I want you to follow that up with Second Chronicles chapter, you like, yo, what is what? it? Yeah. You don't know how to defend against it. You believe in Christ. You a Christian, and they're telling you they believe in Christ, but something ain't right, and a lot of Christians get thrown off. And all you can do is say, that stuff isn't true. But the African Americans who hear it just might stop and listen a little longer. Some will dismiss it, but for those who can't ignore what they heard, how can you as an average Christian sit down and break some things down with them, people like me can be useful to help arm the body of Christ with some information and tactics to help beat back these people and we should contend for the faith. Right. And that's what I love about you when you was when I see your interviews and I see you talking like you just speaking out straight truth and you know the word. And sometimes in churches, like like you said, we just go to church, come back home. We don't try to learn the word, study the word of God. And so I wanted to ask you, what was like your strongest apologetic that you use when you go around these um, Hebrew Israelites? You go around these five percent of these people um, who are comedic and all those people. What is your best apologetic to you? Well, I'll say this. They take different uh, they take different degrees. Right. So when it came to some comedic individuals, one guy was coming to me talking about the black woman is God. Oh, yeah, I hear that a lot. I said, oh, really? I said, so you saying that man originally comes from woman and you don't think that women come from men? No, the first man, pardon me, forget that Bible myth. The first man came out of a womb. I said, okay, if that's the case, then let's keep it scientific because when you use the Bible with some people, they automatically see if you're on a college campus and you're standing in a campus square and you having this conversation, this person shoots down any validity to the Bible. So when you have a discussion with them, it's not that the Bible is invalid to you, but they have tactics to try to just shoot down. Cause remember, we're not sitting here having a, the books are open. This is just freestyle right in the middle of the square. So I took a guy to science. I said, hey, so you don't deny science then, right? No, brother, because they, you know, they try to break down science, the pineal gland, and they break down the anatomy of the body and the biology of it. I said, okay. I said, brother, then why is it that the female only carries two X chromosomes and genetically to determine if a human being is going to be a male or a female? The male carries the X and the Y chromosome. The sperm of, hum- of human males has the X and the Y chromosome. And in biology, you right. know that the sex, if this is going to be, if a woman is going to have a boy or a girl inside of it, the man determines that. Right. Not the female. She gives 
why she gives mitochondrial DNA, right, my brother? The male provides the Y chromosome. The Y chromosome is used to determine the sex of the female. So how did the first woman pop up female without coming from a male or at least a being or a power before her created her in order for her to be first? Either way, right, either there is way. something to provide her what she is because from her, all you know is that you who say your wife is a goddess, you provide the genetic material that determines if she's going to bear as male or female out of her womb. Bro, they don't have no comeback for that. That's science. You feel? Yeah, every time. Now, when it comes to my Hebrew Israelite individual, even though they have great memory knowledge and they have a regimen they follow to make their argument defense, it's just so easy to prove in the Bible. I, 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 let me share a scripture with you right quick. Is that cool? That's cool. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, share. Oh, no, it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, 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 yeah, this is about the word of God daily. Right. What's the name of your show? The daily right? thinker, man. It's the daily thinker. It's about Come the word on. of God. We getting into the word today, folks. Okay. All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's go here right quick. I want to go into the New Testament, and I want... I want to bring up something that Jesus shared. Um, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Luke chapter four. Now I show this to some Hebrews or like brothers on the corner because they most of them they'll never say Jesus, they'll say Yeshua, yeah, Yeshua, Yeshua, and that's fine because I, I, I accept Yeshua, Yahusha, Yahweh, whatever. Right, it don't matter to me. Ain't no problem with that. Yeah, I ain't got no problem. But check this out. It says this. It says, uh, 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 uh. Where we at? Where we at? Where we at? Uh, hold on. Okay. Jesus says this. Uh, and he said unto them, this is verse 23, Luke 4 and 23. Mm -hmm. Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So Yeshua is getting on the children of Israel and especially the leadership saying, Look, the, those who come in the truth of God will be rejected by their own. But look at this. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the day of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, I also use Jonah, showing that Jonah was sent unto the Babylonian city of Nineveh. No Israelite will be able to say those were Israelites who populated Nineveh. Right. Jesus is showing you that when Israel rejects the truth of God, you know what's going to happen? Just like in the famine. God, you know how many Israelite women lost their husbands in that famine? But if Elijah was taken care of, in a strange land by a foreign woman. That's who God gave salvation to. And that woman in her household lived throughout the entire family because they what? They accepted the prophet that Israel rejected. Elisha the prophet was in the days of Israel. And while he was giving Israel the opportunity to hear the word and to repent, and they wouldn't, when the enemies of God came to fight against Israel, God had Naaman, the Syrian, get healed of leprosy while Elisha the prophet wasn't sent to heal a whole bunch of Israelites who were suffering from leprosy. So what I'm saying here is the idea that God is not going to have mercy, love, and show his power unto the nations is just absolutely ludicrous. And then I show him one more because the Bible says by two or three witnesses you establish your point. Right. I go to one more. Now I take them to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 56. And these are Bible texts that no Hebrew Israelite 
they'll come back with something, but the way they'll react to you, the anger they'll even show, because they showed it to me, but they really can't get at me. They look at me. I got my fringes on. I know the scripture. They they know we just don't like this guy. You know what I'm saying? Because we can't really we can't really get it past. Yeah, we can't get it. Listen to this: Isaiah 56 and six. Also, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and take hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathered the outcasts of Israel, say, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered to him. The Lord here in prophecy lets you know that, look, I am gathering the children of Israel, but I'm also the sons of any of the strangers, meaning the people from other nations in the earth who weren't a part of Israel ethnically, but they came to join Israel in worshiping the true and living God. Yo, if you please me the way my people are supposed to please me, some of you will get a better name than even the sons and daughters of Israel with me. And you'll be accepted by me. Bro, this is just the gospel early in the scriptures. So, yeah, man, these are just some of the very elementary things that we use when we're out here dealing with these people coming from these different paths. Right, man. That's amen. That's that's awesome, to be honest. Now, I want to get into this. So you are a Christian Hebrew and it's Hebrew Israelite. So. People want to know what's the difference between a Christian Hebrew and a Hebrew Israelite. So what is the difference between those two? I'll say it like this. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to let the Bible speak along with me, knowing that your audience should hopefully be full of Bible-believing Christians, meaning they study the, they study the Word, along with those who may not be believers, but they just want to tune in and hear the info. Romans 11 and 1, I say then, have God cast away his people? God forbid. This is Paul, everyone. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. I shouldn't have to read the rest of the book of Romans. Paul is breaking it down to the Israelite who is a believer, as well as the Gentiles who are believers. So what is the difference between a Christian who's an Israelite and just Israelites who aren't Christian? Simply is that you have those from the children of Israel who reject that Christ truly is the Son of God. You have those in the nation of Israel who accept Christ. And they, at that time, were called Nazarenes. But as the gospel spread into the Mediterranean, when the Jews came into Antioch and they start preaching Christos, the Greeks called them followers of the Christ or gave them the name Christian. Christian yeah. So if you are an Israelite, like Paul, Paul was an Israelite Christian, just like you have a brother from China. He's a Chinese Christian. You got your brothers in Nigeria who are believers. They're Nigerian Christians. You got your brethren who are from, uh, 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 let's say, the Philippines, like Manny Pacquiao. He's a Filipino Christian. So Hebrew-Israelite is just my ethnic designation, but it doesn't describe what I believe. You can be a Hebrew-Israelite if you're ethnically one and not even be a believer. You can be an atheist. Just as people look at who they classically look at as Jews, and they, they it's, you know what's interesting? Many Christians believe they can easily differentiate what it is to be a Jew. Just because you're a Jew don't mean you don't believe in Christ. You could be called a Messianic Jew. You could be called a Christian Jew, like my great uh, fellow laborer who I've never met. I would love to sit down with him and talk, Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, love Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown lets you know all about his Jewishness. He's a Christian, yet he's Jewish. So you would say that's a Jewish Christian. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew, I'm a, and I'm a Christian. So 
at the end of the day, that's hopefully simple enough. Right. But many times you see like Hebrew Israelites, they won't depict it like that and say, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Hebrew Israelite. I don't put on a white man's image. And see, I see a difference because I follow this pastor. I don't know if you know his name, Pastor Omar Tebow. He's, do, do, do you know him? He's based in Louisiana. And so he's a not Christian. Familiar. Yeah, he's a Christian yeah, Hebrew familiar. pastor. And so he doesn't like observe the law and things like that. So he stays away from that. He really just stays on the foundation of like regular theology, Christian teaching, you know, and and most importantly, he tried to not get to Judaize people. See, that's why I think that a lot of Hebrew Israelites try to do. Okay, so you not see salvation comes from knowing you were Hebrew, then you're gonna receive the salvation. And that's why I say that I would differ from them. Like, okay, you just because you know, just like you said, just because you're a Hebrew or Israelite doesn't mean you're saved just because you're Israelite. Like Paul said, a Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. And so Right. And that, and you know what? And some that had nothing to do with Gentiles. It had something to do with checking the Jews. Yeah. who believe that just because they come from the people who received the original covenant that they was in. A lot of people are like, bro, I work up, I've worked in construction for many years and I've worked with a lot of Italians up here in the Northeast. They, Italians heavily populate construction in the Northeast. Do you know how many Italians will tell you they're Catholic simply because they're Italian? Not because they go to mass. Yeah. Nothing. They, you know what? My bad. They might go to mass on Christmas and they might go on Easter. Other than that, bro, they're not religious in a way. They probably couldn't tell you the history of Catholicism, but if you ask them what they believe, they'll tell you they're Catholic. But because Roman Catholicism has its birthplace among the Italian people, you don't even got to practice it and just by default. You're not just Italian ethnically, but you're also Catholic. Many in the Hebrew, not many, but a particular brand of Hebrew Israelite, uh, Israelite um, that is represented by the camps of certain camps in New York City who broke up starting back in the year 2000 because of a prophecy failed that broke up a big school in New York City. And at that time, about a wasn't dozen that or the, so. Wasn't that the prophecy about um, Jesus coming back, the Messiah coming back and taking his people up in this, the spaceship thing like that. So that's why sometimes, you know, you see the little spaceship symbol. And I, at first I was like, man, what is this? I was, oh, man, what did this spaceship really mean? But then I started to put things together. I was like, oh, this is what the spaceship mean. Go back to the prophecy. I don't know fully about the prophecy, but I do know that they did say that, you know, Jesus is going to come back and really in the spaceship, he's going to gather his people. They they have determined that the city was described as that city in Revelation twenty one oh, coming come down. down from heaven. Oh, yeah, okay. they call that. It's, basically, they they understand that to be like a mothership or something, right? And so that's that, that's where that ideology comes from. But yes, there was a prophecy that was big in a school called ISUPK, the uh, Israelite School of Universal and Practical Knowledge that started in the 60s with a guy named Abba Bivens at 1 West Avenue in Harlem, New York. And for 40 years, they were running around with this prophecy that Yeshua or Christ, Jesus, was coming back. The second coming was going to happen in 2000. We all, we, it's 20 years later, bro. It, we know right. it didn't we, happen. It didn't happen. And it broke the school up. And the school broke up into a dozen little camps in, in New York, for those who were in New York and Philadelphia and Baltimore and Washington, D.C. back then, you all know that there was a big breakup and all of a sudden the IUIC pops up. They weren't called that then. They eventually became that. They were, I believe they were at first called like the House of David or something like that. Then you had uh, uh, AOC. Uh, um, um, you have um, uh, 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 the GMS, GOCC, other schools formed. And they all competed with each other just in the New York City, New Jersey, Philadelphia area to establish who now holds the reign that the school has broken up. Which group should continue, I guess, giving the truth and waking Israel up, quote unquote. And some of you got introduced to them as the Internet through YouTube spread 
their competitions of street evangelism in New York. Yeah, that's how I got exposed to it. Yeah. And then what happened was you got so you know what happened, um, brother? A brother could be sitting in Mississippi where you are. You he sitting back there in twenty twelve and he like, yo, what is this? And he watching it. And some stuff sound, you know, unfortunately, yes, there are still seeds and seeds and fruit of racism in America. Yes, there is still poverty among the African community, the African American community in large numbers. Yes, there is still broken household uh, 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 um, situations that create scenarios in the ghettos all across America, stuff like that. So there's an anger. And yes, there is still forms of systemic oppression and things like that. Bro, you in Mississippi. Let's not get it twisted for one minute. Y'all know. We know. That it ain't just about even always hitting racism. Sometimes it's right in your face. And so with that being the case, someone could be sitting in Mississippi and can identify with that energy and that anger and that desire to be represented as having, as African-Americans being together, having strength. And what makes it even better than to put Jesus' name and the Bible in front of it? So to white America, especially down there in the South, and what they call the Bible Belt, which at first was originally called the Bible lynching belt. Let's not get it twisted. That was the full, it used to be called the Bible lynching belt. And, and it was reporters from up north that even gave that name to the South. The Bible lynching belt. While y'all talking about Jesus down there, heavy, it's a lot of lynching going on down there. Lynch. And some of them people doing it even claim to be good, God-fearing Christians. How about that? So when you got that kind of energy going on, imagine if that stuff would have hit the South in the 60s or 70s. It would have probably been some race riots in some cities down there. Definitely. With the energy these guys would have had coming out of New York City. No question. Because I'll tell you this, when the Nazis and the white brotherhood in the South seen a guy like Malcolm X, y'all know it was meetings that went on between members of the American Nazi Party and the Nation of Islam. They leaders sitting down having secret meetings with Malcolm X telling him, Yo, no, we, you, y'all black supremacists and we white supremacists. We rock with y'all wanting to be separate, have y'all all this, that, and the third. A lot of people don't know that. But see, the nation of Islam just never spread big into the South when Malcolm X was alive. Imagine if it would have. What would that have done to the South? So now this energy from some of the Hebrew Israelites still would appeal in the South and out West. In the Midwest, and all of a sudden, you got boys. Yo, these dudes in New York putting a stuff on YouTube with, hey, you want to know the truth? You want to get in touch with us? They give you their phone number, website, all of that. You know how many young African Americans started to reach out to these guys from around the country and started to link with them? And now in y'all cities, in the South and in the Midwest and other places, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you ain't seen them before, and all of a sudden, some guy you grew up with and went to high school with, you see him downtown somewhere or in the hood on the corner with about four or five brothers, and they out there talking about, man, we Israel. The black people are the children of God. The white man is our oppressor. He the devil. He Esau, because, you know, Esau was Jacob's Jacob brother. brother and so, was, yeah, they put it, the two together and say, okay, you know, yeah. He, Esau, the white man, so he's the devil. That energy is what you all are experiencing. And that just represents that partic- those particular groups out of New York and the satellites that have been created in their image with the advent of YouTube spreading their image around. But they still, on a worldwide narrative, represent a very small, probably a 5%, if you will, no pun intended, <laughs> of the Hebrew Israelite community in the United States and West Africa and worldwide. Wow. And for most Hebrew Israelites you meet, you will not hear someone say to another person of another ethnicity that Jesus Christ came and didn't offer you the same salvation that he offered Israel. And a lot of people may not think that. Y'all might say, no, Zadok, you the minority. Well, no, it's just that y'all may not know. I've been teaching on the internet for over a decade. 
but ain't nobody paying attention to so a black man who making sense and just happen to believe he's an Israelite or a Jew. Controversy sells people. Right. It seems it's like you got to do something crazy to get put out there on the internet like somebody licking your boot. Are you calling a white man the devil? Like, you have to Come do something Come on, ain't nobody listening crazy. to me. I just sound like a Christian. Yeah. I just sound like a Christian. <laughs> that ain't, ain't nobody paying attention to that. You know how many people in the black community don't know who John MacArthur is? Right. Do y'all understand how many people in the black community don't know who Dr. Michael Brown is or James White? And let's take it to African-American scholars or, or, or pastors who might be considered more biblically, apologetically yeah, like found. The, like like the Michael Heiser and stuff like that, yeah. Michael Heiser, Body Bacham. Yeah. You know how many African-Americans are just now even finding out about them? Right, because, like, I just now found up, not, like, some, like, years ago. I know I found out about Jane White years ago, like, some couple years ago, found about these scholars years ago, found out about, I found out about Michael, um, Dr. Michael Brown in college. But like in my high school years, I was not aware of any of these scholars at all. It wasn't until I got to college I started seeing scholarship. I started seeing like but real you know sound doctors. You know what you would have ran into on the internet? Them Hebrew yeah. Israelites yeah. beefing with each other. You would have been easily able to find that on YouTube. Easy. Yeah, easy. In the black community, it's not that blacks necessarily all want to identify with the Hebrew Israelite movement or them particular group. Yeah. They were just a new energy. Blacks had gotten used to hearing the Pan-Africanists like uh, Umar Johnson and them. They done got used to the guy like comedic guys like like the dude they call Polite. Yeah, Brother Polite. They got used to them. But when the Hebrew Israelites showed up, and the one thing that made the Hebrew Israelites different is that they show up in numbers. Right. They, you see them out there, it's 10 of them. Structure. And they out there standing like they on guard, and you got the one boy who they mouthpiece, you got the one dude who will read, okay, thus saith the Lord. This, that, yo, it's just like, you like, yo, what is this? And it gets your attention. And they speak provocatively. And they speak aggressively. They speak confidently in what they believe. It was just something different. And it has enamored a lot of young men who don't have daddies at home, who don't grew up in crime-written, poverty-written communities. And they finally seen something that, wow. That's strong, and it ain't just blood, crip. So I, I got to go out here and shoot people up and sell drugs. No, I can actually get close to God and be aggressive. That, that attract to someone. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I would say that is a good thing about that um, movement, that it does bring some brothers together. Like, it does bring brothers out of different, like, out of, out of systems, out of doing their own ways. It brings them to, like, a knowledge of the Bible, but I mean, you can have all that knowledge, but I mean, if you don't have the person going to save you, the Messiah, you had a, if you don't have salvation, it's really just a waste of time. And not only if you don't have Christ, you, if you think you got Christ. Oh yeah, you think you, you got think, him. You, you think you got him, because they're going to tell you they got him. Right. They just believe the rest of the world, that the kingdom of God for the rest of the world will be all the nations being your slaves. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you'll be there as my slave. That the, the Bible don't teach that. It's a bad interpretation of the nations bringing their glory and coming unto Israel and giving glory to Israel and giving glory to God. They're not coming there to be oppressed. They're coming there because God, through Christ, is using Israel to bring peace finally to everybody. Not oppression. Yeah, but they don't see it that they way. See it that they way see all. it as everybody gonna be their slaves. Revenge will mean I'm gonna do to you what you did to me. It's a bad interpretation of the scriptures, brother. Every single time, and that's why I want to say, like, how do people like this? Is another question that a lot of a lot of people ask too, and a lot of people really want to know: How does one determine if they are a Israelite or they're a Hebrew descent? How can I really determine? Is it ancestry.com? Um, is it a DNA test? What really is it to determine that you are Hebrew? Because I don't want to use Revelation and say Jesus Harris, a white like wolf, feet bronze like brads. I mean, this is a glorified Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, eyes like fire. And you got Isaiah prophesying, and he's saying things like, oh, the Messiah, he's not going to even be wanted to look at. Like, he's ain't nobody going to be attracted to his appearance. 
in this appearance, we see Jesus in his full glory. So I just want you to like speak up on that. Well, the thing is this. African, those who are called African-Americans, anyone who is a descendant of people who were brought to the shores of the United States in the Caribbean and South America as chattel. Okay. You were on par with a coveted horse or cattle in the field. You became property in the same way horses and cows and goats don't just have nothing they can do to stop men from using them. The descendants of slaves couldn't do nothing. You may have some places that revolted. Some things happened, but on the most part, slaves were enslaved. If you go into West Africa and Central Africa, where the majority of all of us come from, unless you come from those who willingly emigrated or as refugees were willingly saved out of something and brought by the government and placed here in the Americas and you from Africa, unless you come from that stock of people, you are related to those. Now, now this is the thing. Let's not get it twisted. Everybody in West Africa and Central Africa aren't claiming to be the children of Israel, first of all. But there are many who do. So remember, the claim of being Israel is different from just claiming you're a Christian or a Muslim or you're connected to some ancient African deity worship. When someone's in West Africa, see, this is the thing. You have the oral traditions of certain tribes, from the Yoruba to the Igbo, uh, uh, um, um, to... Uh, Igbo, uh, uh, Igbo, that's my that's my tribe. That's my parents' tribe. That's where my parents come from, Igbo tribe. That's yeah. where your parents come from. Yeah, now, more than likely, I share blood with people from the Yoruba or the Igbo as well. You know what I'm saying? That's why me and you got these full lips, brother. That's why we got these <laughs> wide noses. And that's why we got this caramel skin. But, brother, among them, you have those who clearly claim to literally flesh and blood, ethnic-wise, be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are, And they're not all claiming to be Judah. Some are claiming to be from Dan. Who runs around saying we, we from the tribe of Dan? Judah, Judah. I hear Judah every single time. Judah, Judah, Judah. No Dan, no other Dan. tribe, no Issachar. I don't hear none of that. I just hear Judah every Benjamin. time. Like Benj- Benjamin. Benjamin. All just said you're from Benjamin. Right. Right? Hebrews are Hebrews. Benjamin. Yeah, but in Africa, you have those who are claiming to be Judah, but they're also claiming to be from Dan. They're claiming to be from Gad. And some are even claiming to be from Benjamin. And some are claiming to be Levi. Now, when you say that, that's not religious. Because Jew can be religious. Mm-hmm. But when you say you're from the tribe of Dan, it's like, well, what do you mean? Our oral traditions say that our fathers re- escaped when the Assyrian attacked Palestine. This is even before the Babylonian captivity of Judah. A hundred years earlier, the Assyrians came in. Many of us fought war. We couldn't win. We ran out of Samaria into Judah. And as they chased us toward Jerusalem, we ran into Egypt. As the Babylonians eventually attacked Egypt and North Africa, we ran across the Sahara, or we ran into Cush, into Ethiopia. Some left out of Ethiopia and went further south on the east coast and settled in Sudan. Some claim to have made it across the Sahara into lands uncharted before, which would in our modern times be Congo, Nigeria, Benin, these places, bro, or the ancient, what they call Dahomey, which was the Gold Coast, which part of uh, today is Ghana and other places. Their oral traditions say that they claim to come from that far back. Like we've been in Central and West Africa for 2,500 years. They're not claiming it religiously. They're claiming an ethnic identity. So what I'm saying is I identify with them in West Africa who claim to be that. 
Now, is there a DNA test that can prove you come from the tribe of Dan? It don't exist, brother. Right, that's what I mean. Because they don't have Dan's DNA. They just don't have it. Mm. If you claim to be from Naphtali, bro, Naphtali, bro, <laughs> Simeon, Zebulun, Asher, if you claim that, who going to tell you that that's not, it's not. I mean, wh- whoever don't think so, that's fine. But if you trace your people and say, well, yo, I know that I come from these people in Nigeria. But more or less, I'm sharing DNA markers with Igbo. Now there are many Igbo who claim to be Christian, but that's by a conversion into having heard, quote-unquote, the gospel when you became a believer. But being a Christian does not describe ethnicity. That describes belief in Christ. And you could be in from anywhere in the world. So it was that idea, brother, that got me to thinking, wow, I never knew that you had those who the slave stock come from. Among them, you have those who claim to be the children of Israel? Mm-hmm. I bet ain't nobody ever told me that, even if I didn't believe it. Why ain't nobody ever told us that? Why isn't the African-American truly taught where he comes from in Africa and the various beliefs and tribal claims? It's because they don't teach us our history here because they don't even know it. You know, y'all do know that the slave traders, when they tried to take Central Africa, got whooped out of there. And they stayed on them coast, bro. And African people, African is not an ethnicity. African just described various tribes and ethnicities of black and brown people who dwell on the continent. Right. That, that's that, that's what, that, what we are. It just describes where we live. It's just like calling somebody... Calling somebody African is just like calling somebody European. But someone would get specific and say, yo, I am Armenian. I am Yugoslavian. I am French. And some will say they French by citizenship, just living in France. But some would trace themselves back to the Gaul, Frank, and Lombard Lombard tribes, the actual quote-unquote pagan barbarian tribes. There's some people who go back that far. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So no one, if I I told you, if I'm European in, 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 in appearance, and I told you, brother, yo, I'm French, you probably don't really care if it just means I'm really Polish, but I grew up in France, so I say I'm French by my citizenship versus if I'm claiming to come from the Frank. I go, my people come all the way back from the bloodline of the Franks, man, way back in 5 AD, 6 AD, as we fought the Romans to keep our tribal lands. I come out of Rhineland. I'm original German. I come from the Gaul people. If someone just say they German, you don't care if they care that they come from the Gaul. It may not be important to you. And And you and I having this conversation, bro, this just isn't important to some people, and that's fine. It's important to me. So I determined the possibility that I come from Igbo and Yoruba people who claim to be what? Claim to be from the children of Israel. I don't care about no DNA test about that because there's no DNA test to prove that. But I also leave license that, yo, if I somehow am not a flesh and blood descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then my people who I identify with in West Africa might come from being proselytized, meaning going as far back as the Persian and Babylonian Empire, when according to the book of Esther, and you may have heard me uh, bring this up before, in Esther chapter 8, when the thing that is celebrated by Israelites and Jewish people called Purim. It's a big civil celebration that happens every year in late winter. It, at least it's late winter here. It'd be always around March, Aprilish, right? In the book of Esther, and I'll read it for edification because maybe when some of our brethren study the Bible, this isn't something they consider. And I'm putting this out here because this is in the context of the question you asked about one determining themselves to be from the people of Israel. Uh, I'm going to go to the book of Esther 
chapter 8. If you know the story about Esther, I don't have time to get into it, but she was from the tribe of Judah, a, a, a woman, we believe a woman of color, from the tribe of Judah, who became one of the chief wives of King Artaxerxes, the leader of the Persian Empire. Uh, something got exposed that her people were from this people. There was a plot to destroy them. Once the king found out there was a plot to destroy the people that his wife come from, he gave her and her uncle Mordecai in this story. And that's just if you believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, then whatever. They were given the opportunity with the king's signature to reverse the plan against them. And the day that was set to be a day of their destruction throughout the entire Persian Empire became a day that the king gave them legal license with the Persian military backing them to take vengeance on all people in all cities and provinces that they knew were waiting to do this to them. So this day of revenge becomes called Purim among the Hebrews. The Jewish people call it Purim as well. And this is what the Bible says, that once the tides turn, it says this. Uh, here we go. Verse, this is uh, the book of Esther, chapter 8, verse 9. Then the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, Sivan, the three and twentieth day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and rulers of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. To every province came this writing, to every people in their language, and to the Jews in their writing and language. And Mordecai, this Jew, in the palace of Shushan in Persia, wrote it in the king Ahasuerus's name, sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and dromedaries. In here, the king granted the Jews in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life and to destroy, slay, and cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and take the spoil. Hey, I'm reading the Bible. This in the Bible. So upon one day in all the provinces of the king, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published to all people that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves of their enemies, right? So I'm going to skip down. It says, so everywhere that this letter came, in verse 17, in every province, forgive me for belaboring this point, but I'm hoping that this is thoroughly answering your question. In every province and in every city, wherever the king's commandment came and his decree, the Jews had a joy and glad and feast and good day. And many people of the land. Now, where is this, y'all? The Persian Empire. All 127 provinces from Ethiopia to India. It said many people of the Persian Empire, when this happened, became Jews because the fear of the Jews was on all the lands in the Persian Empire. So you know what that means, brother? This is back, this, bro, this is the fourth, I'm going to say the fourth century B.C. This is three to four hundred years before Christ. People were converting to the Jewish culture or the Israelite culture, Torah culture, simply to save their lives. So from today, from Ethiopia, but we know that the people from North and East Africa settled today what is also Central and West Africa. Bro, some people over there might be claiming to be Israel for the last 2,000 years, but they families could have converted. Right, Com yeah. Way back then. So either way, either, 
I'm just identifying with the people of the book. I believe the commandments of God weren't just given for the children of Israel to live in their country by, but if Israel would have done this right, all nations would have sent their ambassadors to the children of Israel saying, why do you have a society like none on the earth? And do you know what Israel would have told them? Because we worship and serve our God and we obey his commandments. And just like nations today will try to throw away their old ways and accept American democracy. Let's take a country like Japan, for instance. Y'all know Japan was one of the last major countries on earth to have an emperor who was like the sun god on earth, like Pharaoh was. I didn't know that. That I didn't know. Oh! Oh! That I did not know. Well, let me share this with you, young king. Go and do research on what on what really ended World War II in the Pacific. We ain't going back a thousand years. We're going back to World War II. Every, bro, you heard of the attack on Pearl Harbor, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, most of yeah, I heard that. And the, and the, the fighter pilot, the fighter, the Japanese fighting unit, and their style of attack is called kamikaze. You ever heard of that? Yeah, heard of that. Okay. Do you know what kamikaze is, homie? Kamikaze is this. We will defeat the American imperialists who are a threat to our country and our king, our emperor, to the point that we will take an oath and we will get in planes on the other side of the Pacific Ocean and we will fly all night across the Pacific to the other side and hit Hawaii, which is the islands before you hit the west coast of America where California sits in, uh, in Washington State and Alaska. And we not going back home. We going to die over here. So we coming. And when we see the United States naval bases, we're going to sink as many of their ships and subs as possible. And then when our planes run out of fuel and guns, we will crash our planes into their cities and into their ships and kill as many Americans as possible. That's called kamikaze. And that's, you know why they were willing to die like that? Because they were doing it for the sun god, Emperor Hirohito, who was the living incarnation of the sun on earth. He was basically the Japanese pharaoh, huh? Mm. And the Japanese were so gone in this belief and culture that America, fighting a nation smaller than itself, took the most drastic measures seen in human history and warfare and dropped two atomic weapons on the cities of Hiroshima, in Nagasaki, and you know what that did? The last man on earth known as the sun god. The sun god, bro. It was penalty of death to look straight at him as a Japanese citizen. Wow. Penalty of death. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we underestimate how people look at things and how culture is. And when the emperor of Japan, Hirohito, surrendered after the atomic bombs were dropped, you're supposed to be the sun god? Well, we're about to drop a weapon that with the power of the sun on you and show your people you're not God. America becomes God. And guess what? General George MacArthur sat on that Navy ship while they brought the Emperor of Japan onto the naval ship and he signed the surrender papers right on the American Navy ship in the Pacific Ocean. And from that time, Japan left its theocratic system and became made in the image of what, brother? The American democratic capitalist system. And that's why Japan today is a democratic, it's a democracy, 
and it lives economically by capitalism. It was made in the image of America. It adopted America's laws and ways. Why, why did I go through that long spiel? Because America is so powerful that by war and technology, it has convinced other nations to get rid of their systems and make their countries and their laws in the image of American uh, democracy and law. The children of Israel, if they would have kept the commandments, Moses said, if you obey this, what it will create societally, this will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of all the nations, man, who will say there is no people as wise and understanding as this nation. So when the countries come to you and want to know how do you have this kind of society, do you know what that leads to, brother? Those nations will adopt some of your laws and ways in order to try to produce what? The same results. Right. Yeah. So no one can tell me that the commandments of God are done away with. How is it that Jesus in Matthew 5 said he didn't come to do that, but everywhere you go, Christians want to argue that's exactly what he did because it's a misunderstanding of what Colossians chapter two, Colossians 2 is teaching versus what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Paul is not my master teacher, Peter, none of them. They are our big brothers who we follow as they follow who? Christ. When Jesus said, do not think I am come to destroy the law of the prophets, I believe Jesus. Man. All right. 